I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 43. Psalm 43. Be thinking about this chapter in connection to the Heidelberg Catechism. We're in the second part of the Catechism on our service or our gratitude. And specifically, we're going to be thinking about what the Catechism teaches regarding conversion or repentance. And we're going to even more specifically narrow in on the positive aspect of conversion in terms of wholehearted joy in God through Christ. That's what the Catechism is going to go on to teach us. And we see something of that reflected here in Psalm 43. Wholehearted joy in God through Christ. And so we're going to see that reflected for us in God's word. So Psalm 43, I should note uh, that this psalm um, is, te- is connected to the previous psalm, Psalm 42. Uh, the consensus is that this was potentially at one point one psalm, uh, but broken up now into two chapters for us. And you'll recall in Psalm 42 that the psalmist, as he's uh, lamenting before God, recognizes that his soul is downcast. And so indeed, the Christian life Um, At times, we find our souls downcast. It's not necessarily abnormal. But here we see the psalmist crying out to God and recognizing that though he's downcast, being downcast is not his ultimate lot. It's not the end of his life. Uh, But he expects and he hopes in God who will lead him to himself. God is exceeding joy. And so we'll see that reflected again here. Psalm 43, and we'll read the five verses. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We'll end our reading of God's word there. And now turn in our catechism in the back to Lord's Day uh, 32. Rather, uh, Lord's Day 33, on page 888. 888. There's four questions there. I'll read the questions and we'll respond together with the answers. So, question 88 What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith conform to God's law And are done for his glory, and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. So far from our catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, probably the worst lie that Satan has uh, tricked humanity into believing is that to worship God, uh, to know God, to live for God, 
is, as many people have said, a, a killjoy. That to become a Christian means the suppression of my joy, suppression of pleasure, suppression of a good life. And instead it leads to a sort of sordid, morbid, kind of uh, introspective living in which there is never a smile but only a stern-looking face. And that's, again, as I said, one of the biggest, probably the worst lie that Satan has uh, tricked humanity into believing and may have tricked you into believing at some point as well. Why would I become a Christian? I enjoy these things. Why, could I, why should I become a Christian? Um, I take pleasure in these things. Life is fun this way. But God's word reminds us against that lie of this truth that to worship God, to know God, and to be known by God is true and everlasting joy is true and everlasting joy, not just for some people, but for you and for everyone made in the image of God, which would include all of you sitting here. You were made for God. You were made for him. He made you for himself. And therefore, until you know him and have come to be known by him and are reconciled to him in Christ, you will never know true joy. But in knowing him, in being reconciled, there is indeed True joy, as our catechism reflects upon, and even um, Psalm 43 shows us as well. And I think it's worth reminding ourselves that the Reformed faith is all about joy. What the Westminster Shorter Catechism, many of us know what is the chief end of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? True, everlasting joy. And our catechism as well, the Heidelberg Catechism, reflects scripture on this point as well. Speaking about joy at numerous places, we often say, and rightly so, that the theme of the catechism is comfort. But what does that comfort do when you possess it? It gives you joy. Notice what question two of the, of the Heidelberg Catechism asks. How many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Right? And three things. How great my sin and misery are, how I'm set free from my sin and misery in Christ, and then how I'm to thank God for such deliverance. This is the, no, this is the joy of this comfort that we have in the gospel. We also see in question 45 regarding the resurrection of Christ. It tells us that Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our blessed or even our happy, our happy resurrection. The word there is the same as the word for joy in question two of the catechism as well. Our joyful resurrection that awaits us. Question 52 looks, looks forward to Christ's return and it says, He will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Question 55 also mentions this saying that each member should consider it a duty to use his gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of other members. A couple more. Question 58 speaks of um, the everlasting joy that awaits us in everlasting life, but it says in in question 58 that I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. So that after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. And then, of course, the question that we came up to 
in our, the catechism today. Question 90 regarding the coming to life, the rising of the new man in Christ, being converted in him. Yes, there's sorrow for sin and it begins there, but it doesn't end there or stop there. We have sorrow over our sins because we sinned against God. We have broken his law, we've broken his heart, but it doesn't end there. Because in the rising of the new man is defined by wholehearted joy in God through Christ. Wholehearted joy in God through Christ. The Reformed faith, reflecting upon the scriptures, rightfully acknowledge that joy is a mark of the Christian. Now, as I said earlier, of course, it's not that every single moment of our life as a Christian, there's a smile on our face. No, at times, our souls indeed are downcast. Uh, The psalmist himself recognized that. And, And I know that many of you, all of you at some point, have recognized that as well. Days in which, seasons in which your soul is indeed downcast. But like the psalmist, he doesn't ex- you don't, ought not to expect to remain there forever. That God indeed will raise you up. God indeed will lift up your soul. That indeed, hope in God, you shall again praise him, your salvation and your God. Right? That ought to be your expectation as well. And so when we think about the Christian life, it's not simply a superficial joy that we just smile in, in a sort of stoic, even a stoic way in which bad things happen, but I'm just happy anyway. But instead, it's a true hope in God that we will have joy in him. So in the time that we have, I want us to reflect upon um, that phrase in the catechism as it's reflected in the uh, psalm for us here. Wholehearted joy in God through Christ. And so the first thing to think about then is the object of our joy. The object of our joy. Wholehearted joy in God, right? We could take pleasure in a number of things, but true, wholehearted, everlasting joy is yours only if you are finding that joy in God. Is this not what the psalmist says, right? He says in verse 3, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Right? So where is the psalmist right now? He wants to be led somewhere else. Well, the psalmist is in a place in which he's downcast. The psalmist is in a place in which there are enemies and ungodly people throwing these accusations against him. Right? And he's been driven away from the temple of God where God was, the house of God. He's been driven far away from God. Now, He's also been driven away from a lot of other things as well. He's driven away from his wife, his children, his family, the things he was used to, his, the, the, the comforts of life, his palace. Like, right, there, was, there were many things that the psalmist was driven away from. But the psalmist pierces through all of those things to find what is the deepest thing that he desires, what is the true source of all of his joy. Those are all good things, of course, right? Nothing wrong with enjoying your wife or enjoying your children. These are things that do indeed bring us great joy. But the deepest thing in his heart that he reflects here is it pierces those to the very bottom to God himself as his exceeding joy, right? So he's far away from the place of God. He cries out, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Then, right, once he gets to the city of God, 
and the house of God. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. The the joy that the psalmist shows us here is a joy in which he goes as close as he can to God. It's not a matter of just seeing God from a distance or knowing God from afar or even just coming a bit sort of into the presence of God, but pressing in to know God, to the very altar of God, to before his throne, before the very seat of God. That's where his heart longed for because he knew that God, his God, was his exceeding joy. And brothers and sisters, when you're in times in which you feel far from God, Ought this not to be your cry and your prayer as well? Send out your light and your truth. Lead me. Don't just deal with the circumstances. Yes, I mean, we ask for God to do that. But ultimately, lead me to know you deeper and more intimately. This is the very heart of God's covenant that he made with us. The object of our joy is God himself. And within the context of a covenant, God has given himself to us that he might be this for us, to be our exceeding joy. And so, when we set our affections and we set our hearts upon God, we find that the joy that we have in him causes the joy we took in other things to fade away. Especially joys and things that we ought not to have taken joy in. Sinful things that we may have found pleasurable for a time. When our hearts are fixed on God, it's not that God suppresses our joys, but he raises them up that we might know him to God, our exceeding joy. I don't know if I've used this illustration before. I might have. Um, I took it from somebody, which I don't even remember. It was a long time ago. But... Uh, this idea that when we become, a, become Christians and we seek to grow in godliness, again, it's not a matter of suppressing joy, but of finding a greater, a more exceeding joy. And the illustration is from Romeo and Juliet, right? If you remember the opening of Romeo and Juliet, Romeo is pining away about Rosalind, right? He loves this girl Rosalind. He can't get enough of Rosalind, right? But what happens to Rosalind? Well, he ends up looking up at the balcony. He sees uh, Juliet, right? And now Juliet's the sun and the moon and all those other flowery language, right? What happened to Rosalind, right? Well, her, his desire for Rosalind, which he was pining away about her, faded away because of the greater, more exceeding beauty and joy of Juliet in his heart. And this is what the Puritans would speak about as a kind of expulsive power of a new affection. To know God, to love God, expels the lesser joys in our hearts that we might delight ourselves like the psalmist in God himself. Such is the object of our joy. Well, what about the means to that joy as well? Right, The object, but also the means. Wholehearted joy in God through Christ. Through Christ. How can I have God as my God? How can I have him and know him as my exceeding joy? In Christ. Never apart from Christ. In yourself, you've wandered far from God in your sin. You're dead in your trespasses. And you've languished away in the misery of your sin. That's just the plot of humanity. It's where we are apart from Christ, in our sin. But through Christ, we come to know God again as our God. Because through Christ, we find him to be able to reconcile us to God in his blood. I think this is partly what's reflected in the psalm. In verse 3, send out your light and your truth, right? 
And has not God sent out his light and his truth by sending us his son, the light of the world, and the one who is truth itself? You see, it's in Jesus Christ that God brings us and leads us back to himself. And only in Jesus Christ that God brings us back to himself. Because in Christ we find a savior. In Christ we find one who has redeemed us with his own precious blood. He hung on the cross, forsaken by God, knowing darkness and exceeding sorrow, that in his resurrection he might lead his people, he might lead you into exceeding joy. That's what Christ has accomplished on the cross for us. To take us from languishing away and pursuing counterfeit joys in this life to now knowing God as our exceeding joy. And again, we can try pursuing a life full of joy in other avenues and other means, but all of those end in dead ends. All of those end in eventually our joy and the pleasures of this life ending. But joy that Christ leads us as light and truth is a joy that is everlasting and a joy that fills our hearts and can fill our hearts in every circumstance. Yes, at times, again, not to be um, completely idealistic and avoid the realities of life that our souls indeed are downcast at times. But in Christ, we are assured that God will not leave me there and he will lead me to joy in him. We ought not also in that regard, in honor of Christ, I think we ought not to have this view of the Christian life that being ever sorrowful, right, being ever, uh, ever sad, ever um, focused upon the state of our sin, that ought not to be what ultimately is our goal, right? I think at times you hear the preachers online or wherever where the goal is to simply make you feel convicted and we just pursue a conviction over and over and over again. Now, if you're in sin, we ought to be convicted. Don't, get, don't misunderstand. But this idea that all we pursue is conviction, conviction, without ever pursuing joy, dishonors Christ because Christ not only caused the old man to die away that we do hate our sin more and more but for the new man in you to rise in wholehearted joy in God through Christ it's the object of our joy is God himself the means is through Christ and then lastly we want to think about then the manner of joy and what does it look like in our lives when we're filled with this joy Well, it looks, as the catechism says very practically, it looks like a life full of good works, right? To to have joy in God now, now moves me forward to live for God, to serve him, to love him, and to give my life for all that he calls me then to do. And these good works are not merely fueled by a a sense of um, obligation, though we do indeed have a duty before God, But again, it's fueled by our joy in God for what he has accomplished in us. There's a delight in God's law. There's a a love for him and a desire to glorify him in everything that I am doing. And these good works then that define the Christian fueled by joy, as the catechism said, are those done out of true faith, right? So that's the motive, my faith. I'm trusting in Christ. I'm, I'm believing in him. I'm resting in Christ. And all that he has accomplished for me, right? That's the motive of my heart. 
out of true faith, conform to God's law. So that's the standard, right? It's not that I simply just love God and I just do whatever I want thinking that it pleases God, but I love God and now I'm walking in the way in which he has prescribed for me in his law. I conform to God's law and then they are done for his glory. That's the goal, right? So the motive from true faith, the standard is God's law and the goal of this life then is for his glory. And it's for his glory because he is indeed our exceeding joy. And so as we honor what Christ has done, where we remember what he has done for us, he's taken us from our sin and our misery, and he's brought us to joy forevermore in the presence of God, a joy that I only have the beginning of in my heart already but a joy that he will bring us into when he comes again in its fullness, never to be dissipated, never to be watered down, never to be lost, but forever joy in the presence of God. That is the lot of God's people. We remember what Christ has done, and as we remember that, and as we believe that message, then as we go out, we live with a song in our hearts. Yes, our circumstances may be very difficult, And our souls at times may be downcast, but there's always that tune in our hearts of joy in God. There's always a song in the hearts of God's people as we go about, even in this veil of tears, as the um, older saints would describe the world in which we live. There's still a tune in our hearts, a tune of praise to God, and a tune that at times sounds louder and is more vibrant and can come off of our lips a lot more easily. At times, it's very hard to get those words out. But nevertheless, a tune that will never die out. And again, when Christ comes, then that tune will be on full volume. And so as that tune is in our hearts, it means then we whistle as we work, right? As we do good works, that tune of joy in our heart is there. And we rest in all that God has done. We do that which, which is for his glory out of true faith, conforming to his law. And we do this as his people with wholehearted joy in God through Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you that you have taken us out of our misery and you've brought us again to yourself. And that with the psalmist, we too can confidently pray and ask for you to lead us to yourself, to your very altar. Though in our sins, to be in your presence so closely would consume us. And yet, we know that we have a place in your presence because of what Christ has done for us. And so, Father, may we know this wholehearted joy in you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And may we then, in knowing that, live for you and for your glory and for your kingdom. And that our lives would then be filled with good works as we serve one another, as we love our neighbor, And as you ultimately love you, our God, our exceeding joy, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.